listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, tonight I'm talking about, I'm talking from this subject, Christ in the city, Christ in the city. I want to start by reminding you of the story I told you this past fall of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, that church that was made famous through the ministry of uh, Charles Spurgeon, and how they came to a crossroads uh, as a church. They were very successful. They were very large. They had become a church with tremendous resources. And as the city of London grew up around them, the area that they had been located in began to be more urban than it had been before. And with that urban context, all the problems of the urban plight began to be around the church. Now, they were a church with plenty of resources and money. All the other kind of wealthy churches were moving out to the suburbs uh, to get away from the problems of the city. Uh, they, were, they were having homeless people uh, sleeping uh, in the doors of the church. They were having uh, people begging for food. They were having panhandlers outside the doors of the church. And almost all the churches in that area made the decision uh, to move from the urban area and free themselves from the problem of the urban uh, reality. And most of them did. In fact, all of them, uh, if I understand my uh, history right, the only church that really chose to stay uh, was Metropolitan Tabernacle. They decided uh, to try to do something about it, not to leave. And so some of the first um, large-scale planning that was directed at solving urban problems through a church uh, had their genesis in Metropolitan Tabernacle. Today, all those churches that left the problems of the city, uh, they're empty husks, but they're still a vibrant congregation at Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, there's something about embracing a mission rather than fleeing a mission that gives life. And we want to, as people of God, we don't want to avoid the uh, plight of the world in which we're in. We don't want to avoid the troubles that perhaps surround us. We want to believe we are God's hands and feet, and we are sent by God to seek to make a difference in his name. Can I have a big amen in the house? So I've spent, uh, since that, really, since a conference that um, Don and I were able to go to, I've spent a lot of time thinking along these lines and how um, Christ is and must be preached in the city. If you look scripturally, and again, let me just remind you that all of my notes that I'm using are um, are available on our website. If you would like to download those for your own for your own memory. Uh, and your own study. Um, Somehow the idea of the Lord, the mission of the Lord, uh, the purpose of the church, it seems to uh, in some way, in some ways always be directed back to the cities. Why? Because that's where the people are. Like the famous bank robber when asked why he robbed banks, he said that's where the money is. Don't get any ideas. Um, (laughs) He uh, thought, you know, I'll go where the money is. So it is with the gospel of Jesus. Christ. It is always turning back to the city, to the urban. Why? Because that's where the people are. And Jesus said that if he was lifted up, he would do what? He would draw all men unto him. We need to have revival in our cities. 
Now, I'm not against uh, rural churches. By don't please don't misunderstand me. Um, I am for that. I am uh, very much uh, a, a supporter of any Christian effort anywhere. Uh, but I will tell you this: as someone who has been around ministry all of my life and been around pastors and pastoring and studied church planting and church growing, uh, it is way easier to start a church in a more rural area than it is in a city area because the cost of doing anything is massively more in a city. The regulations involved in doing anything is massively more in the city, but there is this reality. The city is where the people are. And speaking for First Church here, I want to say God has placed us right here in the city. God has placed us cheek by jowl, so to speak, with the needs of the city. And we are a spiritual crossroads of necessity. We have become a city, a church in a city uh, where we see the same problems all church cities see. It's so expensive to do things. You can't just find uh, 10 acres to build a new complex somewhere. You can't just found uh, a new um, venture. Uh, there's city type oversight and city type regulations and city type inspections and yet this is where the people are so I want to believe for revival in the city. Um, there are there are a, a fair amount of study going on. There actually is an institute that has recently been founded that is primarily focused on studying how uh, churches can be built in the city. And uh, this has brought uh, this has caught my attention from time to time. Uh, Jesus is seen in the mountainside on the mountainside. Yes, you can see him there. Uh, he's also in the wa- on the waters at night. You can see him there, and he's also in the little city of uh, Nazareth, you can see him there. But you'll always see him with compassion for, for the city. Luke 9, the writer says he set the Savior steadfastly, set his face toward the city. Uh, the Lord is shown to us progressing, always progressing back to Jerusalem, that center of Jewish life. Uh, There is texts in John 10 and uh, John 12 and John 18, John 19, where you see this image of Christ choosing the city as the place where he would be lifted up, where he would give his life as a ransom for, for many. And the Bible gives us this image of Jesus looking over the city from a hilltop in the distance. Luke 19, and you see him weeping, moved to emotion, weeping over the city. And finally, in this story told to us in Acts chapter number, Acts chapter number 18, uh, you see the word of the Lord being sent to Paul saying this, I have much people in this city. I want to believe that here for this city. Lord, we believe you have many souls here in this city. We believe that you desire a vibrant upswell of, 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 of the kingdom of God in this city, Lord Jesus, not simply for the promotion of a church or a ministry, but for the many people that desperately are hurting and separated and isolated from your presence. Let it happen right here at First Church, I pray. Let us be a part of whatever you choose to do. We know we'll never be the whole of it, but Lord, let us be a part of it. In Jesus' name, can I have a big amen? And so work in the city has unique challenges. It can be 
laborious. It can be discouraging. It can be difficult. Now, I want to uh, remind you of why the Lord says to Paul in Acts chapter number um, 18 uh, that he had many people in this city. You see, um, Paul had left one place of ministry. You can read this at the first verse of the scripture. He left Antioch, and the Bible says he went to uh, Corinth. Now, some good things happened at Corinth. One of the most helpful, the most beneficial, the most close relationships that Paul would ever develop happened right here in this this place where he meets Priscilla and Aquila. And they both, they all of them were tent makers, and so they kind of pitched in together, and they formed uh, their own tent making business, so to speak. And Paul worked with Priscilla and Aquila, uh, and they actually, uh, he stayed with them, they worked together in business, but more and more, Priscilla and Aquila enable the Apostle Paul to focus his time and his efforts not simply on making tents, but on promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, if you read this this passage, you will see him leaving Athens. Now, what happened in Athens wasn't particularly, how shall we say, uh, uplifting. Uh, he sort of left Athens in trouble. And good, some good things happened in Athens, but uh, at the end of it, he is fleeing, running for his life, so to speak. He goes to Corinth. He now begins working with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, the Bible says, verse 3, and because he was of the same same trade. He stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers and he reasoned in the synagogue in the synagogue every uh, Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Paul is starting to have ministerial success in Corinth. If there's one thing I know, I know this: you cannot begin to have spiritual influence in a community without there being a spiritual counterattack against what you are trying to do. In fact, if there's one consistent thing I have seen, whether it's in the life of an individual or in the life of a church, if you begin to have spiritual progress, there will be some sort of a spiritual counterattack brought against you. You should not fear it, however. You should simply be wise to Satan's devices. And you should know that he that is in you is able to bring you to a place of victory over anything that is brought against you. You were made for the battle, and you're given a map to the battle. The map goes like this. The enemy's going to run about making lots of ruckus. He's going to cause lots of trouble. He's going to talk a lot. He's going to roar like a lion in the the night. Uh, If you want to be intimidated, you can be. But at the end of the day, he is a defeated foe. Come on, First Church. So you have to stick to your spiritual knitting. You have to keep speaking victory. You have to keep choosing joy. I said choosing joy. You have to keep celebrating the promises of God. If intimidation will work, that's all it will take for you to quit. But if you choose to stop being intimidated by your enemy and start being impressed by your redeemer, you will overcome every trial, every oppression that is brought against you. Praise God. All right, let's move along here. So in this city is this beginning of spiritual, spiritual, um, shall we say, spiritual 
progress. And now uh, there is this expected kind of resistance that's going to come. Uh, as the work begins to get some success, others uh, begin to come in. Paul and Silas join the work. They come over from Macedonia in verse number, number five. Um, Paul is now compelled by the Spirit, and he does more than just debate what the Jewish law means, he takes the step forward of proclaiming in the synagogue that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it's one thing to talk about doctrines and how we got here and belief structures and what it means for us. It's something else to stand up and say, all right, guys, I just want to be clear about something. Uh, Jesus, you know the one who had such attention brought to him in the, a few years ago, that one who was crucified by Rome and lifted up and there was all the mystery after his death about the missing body and the testimonies of the ascension of the Lord and the 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 revival that began, I, I am, I'm going to do more than just talk about uh, him as a teacher. I'm going to tell you something here today. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He was more than just a man. Well, now, there were lots of Jews that they were okay as long as this was theore theoretical. Uh, they were okay as long as we're just kind of talking in principle and, you know, at a distance. But the moment you're going to stand on your ground and say, Jesus is the Christ, they opposed him. They, they called him a blasphemer. And um, he evidently, there's some interesting subtext here in the, in, in the scripture. Um, Paul evidently is he, is, he is at the, at the end of his patience. I wonder if anyone here has ever been at the end of your patience. I think this side more than this side. I think maybe this side is more prayed through, and um, you have more patience, and this side over here, uh, they, they get to the end of their patience sooner. I, I don't know, but I got more amens over here. Uh, I, <laughs> Paul evidently is at the end of his patience because he's going to do something that is, uh, yeah, hmm, yeah, it's uh, pretty strong. He, before them, shakes out his garment and says, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I am done with you hard-headed, uh, never know, ne all argumentative, uh, uh, hard-hearted. I'm done with you. Um, now, if, you <laughs> if you've ever spent much time in spiritual leadership, you will know exactly how Paul feels at this moment, because there'll be that that one person who you're like, oh, I don't, I, no, no, I'm not even going to answer my phone. <laughs> now, this is good since we're in confession mode. How many of you have had that relationship where you were like, I'm not even going to answer this phone? Oh, I'm, I, again, we had more confession over here than we did over here. I think maybe there's more honesty or something over here. I, I don't know, but <laughs> uh, the, Paul is done. Paul is done. Now, um, uh, I think, I think in uh, receiving the reward for long-suffering kindness, I think my dad receives that award because I grew up in his church, and he was so patient with people that even at the young age of six, I was like, Dad, they're idiots. Just kick them out. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom, being of the same spiritual spirit I was, uh, she would agree with him, Dad. Just, there, the, just no, just, just. And my dad would be like, "No, we're going to work with them for another year, and we're going to put." Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> he's going to heaven. I'm not sure about me and mom, but. <laughs> 
he's going to heaven. So um, Paul is at his wits end. Now, if there's one thing, I, I want, I, okay, I want to slow this down for a moment because I want you to see something. If there's one thing Paul is not going to do, and that is he's not going to give up on reaching for the house of Israel. In fact, he's going to be so stubborn, he's going to go against the advice of prophecy, and he's going to go against the request of church leaders, and he's going to go back to Jerusalem even though they ask him not to, and he's going to get thrown in jail to save his life. Interesting story. And he's going to spend two and a half years in chains waiting for his court to be received by Caesar. He is not going to give up. But at this moment, he is at, he is, he is, he is done. He is beyond done. He shakes his garments out and says, your blood be upon your heads. I am clean. And from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, I want to, I want you to see something here. So he walks out of there and he goes to the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, uh, whose house was not next door to the synagogue. Now, this is getting humorous. Uh, Paul is going to be done with them. Uh, He wants to be done with them, but the only place he has to hold services, so to speak, is at a guy who is next door. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this. Now, remember this image because I'm going to come back to this. Paul I'm done with this. I'm, I'm over it. Uh, and Paul and, and the Lord's like, oh, okay, we'll see about that. Um, I have a place for you to have church right by the synagogue. And so Paul moves his meeting, so to speak, uh, from the synagogue. He moves it next door to the house of, to the house of um, this man named Justice. And there, the ruler of the synagogue named Crispus slips over and is converted and begins to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah. And not only that, but all of his household converts. And many of the Corinthians, hearing this, they believed and are baptized now. So they're starting to have a breakthrough. But I want you to see the frustration that Paul has with the inability to make progress with a certain group of people he has a burden for. And so... uh, He says, I'm done. I'm over it. But he's just at his, he's at his wit's end. He is frustrated. And the Lord moves him next door and the revival continues. Now we're at verse number nine. The Lord speaks to Paul in the night by a vision and says, don't be afraid, but speak and do not be silent for I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. A moment before, Paul is seemingly at his wit's end saying, I'm done with this. I am sick of this. I'm going to quit with you guys. The next verse, the Lord's saying, no, there is a revival here. Now, I want to I point out here that this is, this is kind of like the reality of, of the pastor. There's a joke with pastors that we resign every Monday. The joke with pastors is every Monday we resign, and that leads us to the, uh, the, the story of the, the, the man who, who woke up and told his wife he was not going back to church ever again. He said, I'm not going back to church ever again, and she said, why not? He says, I'll give you uh, two reasons. Number one, I don't like those people, and number two, they don't like me. 
She said, hmm, well, I'm going to give you two reasons why you are going back to that church. He said, really? She said, yes. Number one, I'm your wife. And number two, you are the pastor. (laughs) So every Monday, every Monday, the joke with pastors is, I'm thinking about resigning today. So um, you wanted to do something that maybe it didn't work out the way you wanted to, or maybe you feel like that message which preached oh so well in the study just fell flat on its face in front of the people. And so some of you guys are so nice, you come right up to me and you look me right in the eye right after I know I haven't done very good, and you say, that was a great message, and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Forgive them for lying, but thank you, Lord. And then I tell you I love you, and I send you money in the mail. So that's how that works. But uh, So Paul is at his wit's end, and the Lord says, no, no, no. There is a revival. There is a revival here in this city. There are many people in this city. So frustrations come to us, and here you see Paul living through that frustration. I want to read you, I'm back to the subject of the Christ in the city. I want to read you a quote from uh, one of the great preachers of the last few few decades, pastored uh, First Baptist Church in uh, Dallas uh, by the name of W.A. W. Criswell, a uh, quite famous preacher, um, and I, I still occasionally read his stuff because he is a, uh, he, he's, interestingly, he, as far as just pure preaching goes, he used history, both biblical and natural, and, and, and just regular history, uh, in his messages more than almost anybody you can find, and I'm a, I, I like history, so that's one of the reasons why I, I'm drawn sometimes to his, to his sermons. Um, he, I'm going to read a, 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 a quote from him of a message, uh, that he preached in his church in Dallas, and this is, a, this is what he said. He said, I've been pastor of most every kind of church you could think of. For 10 years, I pastored out in the country and in small villages. The work was easy. There, I'd preach a sermon on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday night, all that weekend until I came back again, those farming people out plowing in the field, Think, we're thinking about those services, turning them over and over in their mind, what the pastor had said. There was nothing to do out there, no place to go. So what did they do? They were meditating on the word. When I'd come back, there'd be a multitude of things. Many of them would ask me about the sermon I preached two Sundays ago or even a month ago if it was a some of those country churches that have every other Sunday and they'd share pastors. Um, So even a month ago, in the small towns where I was pastor, we'd have a revival meeting. Everybody from the ends of the road, from the parts of the creek, from the head of the holler, everybody came. And if we had a big preacher from the city, why, it was an event. It was an epic in the life of the small town. The city? Well, they hardly know you're here. They pass by you in the thousands and the thousands. They're in a rush. They're busy. They're building empires. They're making fortunes or losing them. They're going to an entertainment. There's a show. There's a vaudeville. There's a wrestling match. There's a sportatorium. There's a fair park. There's an operetta. There's an opera. There's everything. And the people in the city are engrossed. And the poor preacher and the poor missionary and poor Paul. (laughs) The work in the city is difficult. And referring to this chapter, he says, the Lord appeared to Paul in the night saying, Paul, you're not to leave. You're not to despair. You're not to be discouraged for I have many people in this city. This image of 
wanting to do something for God and feeling like it's all for... So, true, true confessions. So, I'm going to stand over here because this is the honest side of the church I've come to see, and I'm going to tell this on the honest side of the church, and then we're going to have prayer for the dishonest side of the church, all right? <laughs> I'm just having fun, guys. Anyway, so... On my way to church tonight, on my way to church, a pastor friend called me. I was like, hey, how you doing? What's up? He's like, first thing out of his mouth, you know, I don't have a clue how to reach this city. And I just started laughing because I knew what I was preaching tonight. And I said, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a clue how to reach Charlotte. Everybody's so busy. Everybody has a million things going. How do you do it? Well, this is what the Lord would say. You're not to get discouraged. You're not to give up. Don't leave. I have many souls in this city. So I want to speak and say over my life and my ministry and speak and say over your lives and the ministry God has given you in your world, I want to say this. We cannot judge or set our enthusiasm, our enthusiasm, I should say, on the basis of how much the city is seeing us. We have to stand upon the word of the Lord. And the Lord says he has a great revival in this city. So uh, I want you to I want you to 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 be reminded, and I I have other paths I was going to go with this message, but I I want to I want to very quickly just uh, t- take a moment and, and reiterate this 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 image here that I, I said earlier I would come back to in this time of Paul's life, in this time where you can see his frustration, where he one of the rare times he just gives up on people, and uh, at this moment I want you to see this was the moment when God joined him with his close friends in ministry, Priscilla and Aquila. In the tough times of your life, God will match you to people who will be a strength to you. Don't keep other people in the church at arm's distance. Don't stay away from the parts of church fellowship that are beyond, outside of just, say, worship. Worship is awesome. When we come together, this is all vertical. We glorify God. But the Lord will put people in your life for the most difficult season of your life. He won't ask you to face that, face that alone. He'll send friends to you. He'll send support to you who will be there for you in that time. And so it is, and so it is that the Lord will, the Lord will build you and keep you in the most frustrating seasons of your life. How do we, in this generation where there's so much entertainment, where people uh, really... Over the last, from the early 90s, uh, church attendance in America has been on a tremendous decline, and it has gone from nearly 70% down to 30-something percent of people who uh, attend church over uh, two Sundays a month. There's been a tremendous decline, and during that time, we still have been able to see effective ministry, and we still as a church have been able to move as far as growing influence, and uh, of course, we don't, the city does doesn't know we exist like so many, uh, like so many church. It's a big city, but God has placed us here, and we cannot grow discouraged in our place, and we cannot grow discouraged in our mission because God has many people in this city. Yeah. 
And although, yes, when you say it's a generation that is very distracted, I, I would have to agree with you. You say it's a generation where there seems to be less interest in uh, supporting any type of an institutional uh, type format, whether uh, almost of any type, I, I would say, yes, that is the data. That is the way, that is the headwind that the church is fighting. You would say it, it's a city, it's, it's, it's a diverse place. You, you can't simply have the, the easy fellowship of, of people who know everybody and all kind of have the same cultural inheritance. It's, it's a city, it's a melting pot. Yes, I would agree with you. I would say all of those things. But I want to say this, there is a revival. The great revival that will come in the last days is going to happen uh, in the cities. It's going to happen where the people are. We, I believe, have already seen the beginning of that. We have already seen that, but I want more. I'm hungry for more. I'm desirous for more. I want this church to be a part of that in Jesus' name. So I want to talk about how we overcome, how we overcome uh, this this, uh, generation of distraction, this generation of temptation. And I want to tell you two stories, and you've heard me tell them before. They are from uh, the Greek mythologies, the Greek cultural stories that came down through Odysseus and, and all of that. Um, we don't, and of course, ascribe to that in any formal way, and I don't promote mythology in any way. Uh, but really, they don't teach you anything about God, but they do teach you a good, about, a good bit about human nature. And so I, I offer them uh, in, that, in that light. The, the first story that I, I want to tell you is the famous story of uh, Odysseus and his crew sailing by the island of the Cyrus. You, you probably have heard this, and, and Odysseus, he knows that there is this, there's this reality that uh, people are driven mad by these sirens. Of course, this is all mythology. It's not for real, so don't get carried away or anything, but uh, we know temptation is real, <laughs> and that's what the image is really about. And so he comes up with this plan where he would feel his cruise ears with wax and tell them not to listen to him, to, to the song or not listen to his commands and he himself would be tied to the mast and so he went by he went by the island of the sirens and uh, he went into the madness of that temptation uh, but because his crew would not obey his commands and they could not hear because of their ears being filled with wax you know the story they were saved and when he came back to his senses uh, his loyalty first mate released him and he realized that he had survived and they had all survived. Uh, that is an image of how human nature uh, tries to overcome temptation. And so this idea of making it impossible, I understand that. I think there's some wisdom there. But there's another story about the island of the sirens and it's the story told of Jason and his Argonauts and they go by the same island. Again, it's just mythology. Don't take it too seriously. He had a man in his crew named Orpheus, and Orpheus was such a famous uh, musician and singer that uh, Jason decided that when they went by the Island of Sirens, they, they wouldn't try to fill their ears with wax. They would just ask Orpheus to sing a song and play his lyre, and so that's what they did. When they went by the Island of the Sirens, Orpheus played his lyre, and he sang, and, of course, legend, they say... Uh, his song was so beautiful that it kept their attention from being at all drawn by the sirens. And they were, they were 
saved from destruction. Here's the idea. There's two ways to to serve God. Uh, One way is where we are constrained by God or circumstances or family or church or tradition and we're held. And even though we might want and even though we might wish, we are held. Um, that can be beneficial in certain circumstances, I'll be the first to admit. Um, a lot of, one of the reasons why rich people get divorced is because they can afford it. <laughs> and when you're poor, you have to make up with your wife because you can't. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what you all say. <laughs> so uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Now I feel bad. No one's getting on my case over here. The point is, that's one way to live. That's one way to live. I, I remember a, a, a message a friend of mine preached, and he, uh, he told the story of, uh, of, of Odysseus and how they tied him to the cross, and he preached, tie me to the cross, tie me to the cross. And I listened, and he's a good preacher, but I thought to myself, there's a better story than that one. And that's the story of uh, how Orpheus, when he sang and he played, no one cared about the island of the sirens. So here's the idea. I don't want to serve God because I have to, because I'm forced to. I want to serve God out of the overflow of my heart, out of worship, out of joy. So yes, the city is filled with frustration. Yes, the city can be a difficult place for churches to do things, to build buildings, to buy land. Yes, Paul, there is frustration here in Corinth. There is this whole cabal of Jewish leaders and scholars who will debate with you. Maybe if you went to a small town, they wouldn't have anyone who would debate with you and you would be able to just kind of wow them all with your great learning. But here in Corinth, there's competition and there's tension and there's fighting and maybe you'd like to be done with all of them. But you don't leave this city because I have many souls in this city. That's how I feel about Christ in the city. Yes, there are unique difficulties in being uh, gospel-focused and, and grace-founded. And yes, there are uniqueness, unique difficulties to being adamantly spiritual, the more urban the culture. And yes, there is more mingling and cross-currents. And yes, there is more tension and complications. But here's the reality. There's people in the city, and God has a revival right here in the city. There is an effective and uh, there's a, a, a door that is open in this city. There is a, a place of spiritual breakthrough in this city. And so I want to believe with all of you that 2020 is a year of spiritual progress, breakthrough, anointing, healings, testimony, ministry, growth, discipleship in this city. And yes, Charlotte keeps growing. And yes, the cost of everything keeps going up. But God has a great revival for us right here. And I claim it today in Jesus' name. Will you claim it with me? Will you claim it with me? Stand to your feet right now. Lord Jesus, we stand here as believers unified together, believing together. We want so much to be the effective hands and feet of the, uh, of the body of Christ ministering in a community. Lord, lead us in the way. Lead us in the, uh, the most effective, the most efficient manners of 
carrying this great gospel to this community. In Jesus' name we pray. I pray you would anoint every one of these good people. I pray that you would fill them with your power and your spirit. I pray that they would walk close to you and they would have a sense of just how empowered they are through your name and through your word and through the promises of God to make a difference in their community. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.